0: We sing glory, honor, power, and strength to the Lord. said, well, thought it would happen this way, but it really happened that way. As we think about that this morning, though, we uh, are reminded that in the past 20 or 30 years or so, there have been a lot of those oops moments in regard to the end times. There have been a lot of predictions that have been made, many of them in the past 30 years that have been quite prominent, and so people were looking for the end of time to come. For example, Back in the year 1999, there were two men who were very popular writers at that time and still are. A man by the name of Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, not the Jerry from Roebuck Parkway, but the writer of the, the, the uh, uh, fictitious book series called the Left Behind series. They made a statement that the world would end on January the 1st of 2000. Well, many of you remember the Y2K scare, you're old enough to remember that, and, and we were wondering if the computers were going to work and the cars were going to crank and all those kind of things, or at least a lot of people were, and yet January 1st, 2000 rolled around and nothing happened. A little bit later on, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins said, we regret that we talked about that. Another prominent preacher that you might know, and you probably have seen him on TV somewhere along the way, Pat Robertson, a uh, television evangelist, he said that the world was going to end. Matter of fact, he published this in one of his books all the way back in 1990. He said that the world was going to end in the year 2007, April the 29th of 2007. Well, we know April the 29th of 2007 came and went, nothing happened. Well, there was another guy who came along after him by the name of Harold Camping, and he made the statement that the world was going to end on May 21st of 2011. He had a lot of followers who heard him on the radio. Many of them sold the things that they possessed, and they sent money to him. And I don't know how that was going to help anything, but they sent money to him. They quit their jobs, and they got ready for the end to come on May 21st, 2011. And guess what? Nothing happened. And so he ultimately was sued by a number of the people who had given money because he had made a false prediction. Well, he wasn't the last one. There were all kind of conspiracy theorists, theorists and numerologists and other kind of guys who came up with the idea that the world was going to end on December the 21st of 2012 because the Mayan calendar ended that day, and so they must have known something a long time ago, and the world was actually going to end on that day, and December the 21st, 2012 came and went... Nothing happened. Most recently, a man by the name of David Mead, and you may have seen this on the news just recently, may have read it in uh, on some website or the newspaper. He made the prediction that the world was going to end on september the twenty third Now that was a week ago yesterday. And uh, there would be this mysterious planet called Nibiru that would somehow appear and collide with earth and cause all the destruction that was going to, to take place. Now, I don't know if you were keeping up with this a couple of weeks ago, but as the 23rd approached and Nibiru hadn't shown up yet, he began to, I guess, wonder about that. And he clarified some things. He said, you know, he said, we have until the middle of October, October the 15th, if you will. And he said, I believe you will not be disappointed in the middle of October. And so we know the 23rd has come and gone and nothing happened. And, and, and uh, we don't expect some mysterious planet to appear and collide with Earth on the 15th of October either, which is only a few days away now, a couple of weeks away. And so we don't expect that. To happen either, And so as we think about that, I want us to go back and think about some things this morning. I want us to come to understand that because of all the predictions that have been made and missed, because of all of those oopses when it relates to, to the second coming of Christ to the end of the world, it would be very easy for people to become skeptical of both the Bible and the end of the world, right? All of those have come and gone and nothing has happened. And these people have said that, hey, we're basing our prediction on Scripture. We're, we're saying that the things that we're getting and publishing and, and, and the, the dates that we come up with, they're coming from the Bible, and so when all of these things happened, and these that I have mentioned are not the first, and there have been many through uh, the years that have made predictions in regard to the coming of Christ, it's easy for people to become skeptical. But you know, that's exactly what the Bible had to say, isn't it? When you go to the pages of God's Word and you turn to passages such as the one found in Second Peter chapter 3, you know, beginning in verse number 1, that Peter said that there would come a time that people <coughs> would be skeptical, that they would, would, would wonder, that they would uh, look and they would uh, ask, you know, where is the coming of the Lord? Down in verse number 3, he says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come. That's the skeptical folks in the last days, scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of the creation. And so people even in Peter's day, not long after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven, not long after the establishment of the church, there were people who were wondering, when is He coming? He's promised to come back. But when is he coming? He hasn't come yet, so he must not be coming back. They were skeptical then, and people can be skeptical now. But you know what? Peter answers that as he discusses the matter on down in that same chapter in verses eight through ten. He says, "Do not overlook the fact that beloved, that the one day that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow." To fulfill His promise. And and, uh, He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, verse number 10, will come. You know, God doesn't look at time as we do. We think that if we live a hundred years on this earth that we have had a long, long time to live. But if you multiply that by by ten, in God's eyes, that's as though one day has simply passed away. But whether it's a thousand years from the time that Christ came, or or the first time, or two thousand years, or ten thousand years, Peter says one thing for sure, he is coming. And so as we look at it and we think about it, we need to remember that, keep that tucked away in our mind that the Lord is coming. So many folks seem to try to base their belief that the Lord is coming on some signs that they find in Scripture. They think that if we turn to the pages of God's Word and we look, surely we can find some signs that tell us, point us to the fact that not only is he coming, but that he is coming at a certain time. Well, all the signs, somebody said, point to the fact that we must be living in what is known as the last days. You know, what really concerns me greatly is not that people sometimes make predictions But that even brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll talk about the supposed signs that it must be getting time for Christ to come back. What are all these folks talking about? Do they, can they know, based on the Scriptures, based on God's Word, based on the Bible, that the end of the world is near you saw the slide the title slide of our lesson this morning are we living in the end times is there any way for us to know that that's what we want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about and i'll go ahead and clue you in tonight we're going to continue this lesson we'll look at it from a little bit different standpoint and i'll talk more about that here in just a moment But I want us to begin this morning by understanding the Bible is clear that there will be no signs. Just up front, right here at the very beginning, the Bible makes it clear there will be no signs. You heard Dwayne read from Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. And there was a question that was asked of the Lord. He was coming out of Jerusalem. They were talking and Jesus said, you know... If you see this great temple that's been built here, there's coming a day when not one stone will be left standing one upon another. All of these buildings that are there will be destroyed. And so as disciples, as Jesus is making that statement, they begin to wonder, and as Dwayne read this morning, they come to him a little later in private, the Bible says, and they said, Lord, let's ask, we need to ask you a question. When will these things be? What, what, what's going to happen? We, we need to know when will these things be. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You see, the disciples thought that the destroying of the temple and the end of time must be the same time. And we understand and we know from the study of God's Word that the temple was destroyed... By the Roman army in AD 70 when it came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. We understand that, and as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to be talking more, and that's one of the things that we'll talk about tonight some of the things that we find in the book of Matthew, chapter number 24. We know that happened, we know what Jesus said came true with the temple being destroyed. However, Jesus drew a sharp distinction between the event, that event, the, the, the destruction of the temple, and His own coming. Of His own coming, He would make this statement down in Matthew 24, verse 36, "...but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only." He said, we don't know. He, he, he said, there's no way that you can know because I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows when that day will occur. In the book of Matthew 24, if you continue reading from that point, going on in verses 37 through 39, he makes it clear that the coming of the Lord will be like it was in the days of Noah. Noah. You see, in the days of Noah, people were living their lives. They were marrying, they, they were uh, giving their sons and their daughters to be married. Everything was going on, and they were unaware that destruction was coming until the flood came and swept them all away, Jesus said, and he said, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. If you look at Matthew 24, verses 43 and 44, he says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus was not the only one who used that illustration of a thief coming in the night. Paul would use it in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse 2. He said, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. If you knew when someone was going to break in your house, you'd have the sheriff there waiting on them. You'd have your gun loaded. You wouldn't just let people break in coming of the Lord will be like that Jesus and Paul were not the only two Peter said the same thing in second Peter chapter 3 at verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed and so our point is this there will be no signs of the coming of the Lord. We can't say, alright, here's this, and so we've got to get ready. If we could, would be like looking for the thief. He came and knocked on the door, left his calling card, and said, I'll be here tonight at 11 o'clock. He didn't do that. He won't do that. Jesus himself said, his coming was like that. And so, no signs. But let's go on. If there are no signs, and Jesus made it clear that that was the case, upon what do people base their belief that we're living in the last days? What evidence do they have? What kind of thinking would it be that they're living, we're living in the last days? Folks, just to be blunt this morning, those who teach, they can know when the end will be, are basing their beliefs on one of the following three. Number one, those who believe they can know when the end will be do so because of ignorance of God's Word. Now don't use that word, ignorant, in a bad way. There are some people who simply have not had the opportunity to know what God's Word has to say in regard to any matter, and especially in regard to the coming of the Lord. They may have heard someone else say it. They may have, you know, listened to someone else as they talk, but they're ignorant of what God's Word actually says. And so they will repeat what they've heard, but they simply do not know. But not only that, it may be number two, that they have an honest misunderstanding of God's Word. I believe there are people who have studied God's Word and they've looked at some of these passages and they fail to read before and after. They fail to look at the remote context of of God's Word and and trying uh, to put everything that God has to say on the subject together. And, and, And they'll read one passage and they'll think, man... It must be talking about the coming of the Lord or whatever subject that they're talking, that they're studying at the time. And they've simply, even though they've studied God's Word, had a misunderstanding, an honest misunderstanding of God's Word. And so because of their honest misunderstanding of God's Word, they'll they'll repeat such things and try to teach such things and lead other people astray. But it may not (coughs) be the ignorance of God's Word or an honest misunderstanding of God's Word. This third one may be the case. A willful misinterpretation of God's Word. They simply have an agenda like some of the uh, uh, political commentators seem to have today. Some of the news organizations seem to have today. Some of the... uh, organizations in our society seem to have today, they have an agenda and anything that doesn't match with their agenda, they're going to cast it out or going to try to spin it so that it will fit their own agenda. It may be that there are people in our world today, and I believe there is, there are people who have an agenda that they're pushing and they're resting the scriptures, as Paul would say it, in order to fit their agenda. That's a willful misinterpretation of God's Word. And I wouldn't want to stand before God teaching in that fashion. And so I believe that those who think that they can look at the so-called signs that are found in the Word of God and, and, and promote that we're living in the last day fit into one of these three categories. In the few minutes that we have left this morning, I want us to briefly look at some of the most misused passages relating to the end times. And we'll briefly look at them and answer some of the things that are said therein. There are some people who want to use Matthew 24 that we've already mentioned this morning. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 through 12, the Bible says you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. It goes on and talks about... Um, uh, earthquakes and famines and all of those kinds of things and and people will begin to think north korea the middle east all of those things that are happening in our world today we're hearing of wars and the possibilities of wars And they'll read that about the earthquakes and they'll think Mexico and what happened there just a few days ago with the major earthquake that was there and other earthquakes that have gone on in uh, in the recent past. And they'll think, man, I've read this and so it has to be that we're living in the last days. One of the things that we need to remember is that the National Earthquake Information Center detects more than 50 earthquakes every day, almost 20,000 earthquakes a year. Listen to this, since 1900, 117 years ago, the United States Geological Survey estimates there have been several million earthquakes throughout the world. Yes, there are earthquakes, but there have always been earthquakes the context of matthew chapter 24 verses 1 through 3 as we sort of alluded to in our early discussion all the way down through verse 35 points toward the destruction of jerusalem that occurred in ad 70 as we think about that there were conflicts within even rome itself in those days caligula claudius Nero, all of those guys that we recognize as emperors were fighting in and amongst themselves at different times. And so people were hearing of wars and rumors of wars that led up to AD 70 in their own day. And not only that, there were famines and earthquakes that were devastating during these years. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 11, at verse 28, The Bible speaks about a famine, a great famine. The Bible says, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And it took place in the days of Claudius, the Bible says. Josephus, Tacitus, Seneca, they all record how earthquakes were devastating during that particular time. And so when we read those things in Matthew 24, verses 6 through 12, and as I mentioned, we'll talk about them a little bit in greater detail tonight. One of the things we need to remember is what the Bible has to say in verse 34. After talking about the wars and the rumors of wars and the earthquakes and all of those things, Jesus made this statement. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All of those signs had to do with that. The generation to which Jesus was speaking was going to be alive when all of it happened. And so how in the world could Matthew 24, at least those first 35 verses, refer to signs that are yet to happen to show us that we're living in the last, quote-unquote, end times. Another passage that's used is Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. The Bible says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderers without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Man, that sounds like our own day, doesn't it? And so it must be the last days. The Bible says there in verse number one, in the last days these things will happen. But, folks, what does the Bible mean when it mentions and uses the term last days? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He's talking about that in the first century and applying it as the last days. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 It shall come to pass in the last days. English Standard Version translates it afterward, but we'll understand a little bit later. Even the English Standard Version translates it back this way. It'll come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. He goes on, he talks about um, a lot of different things that will happen back in the book of Joel. Well, folks, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, going through verse 21, the Bible says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. In the last days, something's going to happen. And you know what Peter quotes from Joel 2, verses 28 through 32? On the day of Pentecost, they were living in the last days, 2,000 years ago. And so again, we could spend more time, but we're running out of it this morning in our lesson even though the Bible says the last days, we have to understand what the Bible's talking about. They were living in the last days in the first century, 2,000 years ago. One thing that should help you out, and this is better, I didn't read the last part of that passage out of 1 Timothy, out of the last part of the verse there, verse number 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 5. Notice the very last statement that Paul makes. Avoid these people. Paul gives a direct command to Timothy. The language bears it out. And even in the original language it's more clear. The language bears it out that Paul is talking to Timothy and telling Timothy, Son, all of these things are going on. You avoid these people he's not just predicting that would happen and telling us to do it he's telling Timothy to do it in the first century and so the question becomes this how could Timothy avoid the people described if they were not already present the things that you see are not of some future time not just talking about our time and saying we're living in the end times because of all of this it started happening just in the last 50 or so years it was already happening in the day of Timothy so again there are no signs that we can point to but then very quickly this morning some want to use Deuteronomy 30 verse 1 and following and uh Use that relating to the land promises that were given to the Israelites. Many times you'll hear people talk about what happened in the late 1940s when Israel was again established as a nation on the land that God had given them so long ago. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, is contingent upon some of the other passages. You see, Israel's keeping of the land, which is spoken about, was contingent upon their obedience. Just read Leviticus 18, verses 24 through 28, or Joshua chapter 23, verses 14 through 16, where they're specifically told if they defile the land like the people before them had defiled it, disobeying God, God said in Leviticus 18 that the land would vomit them out. And Joshua told them that they would perish quickly from off the good land that God had given them. It's a real shock to some people to learn the Bible depicts no favored status to any group or nation today of a national sort. Acts 10 verses 34 and 35 the Bible makes it clear that God shows no partiality. Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, God shows no partiality. And Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. See, all people stand on level ground at the cross. It's not some nation. And when you turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, beginning at verse 1 and reading on down through verse number 5 and the the promises and the things that are said in regard to that nation there, you, you need to understand what is said there, that they would leave, they would be forced out, they would come back. But Nehemiah himself said that happened when the people came back from Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 and going through verse 10. He quotes from Deuteronomy 31 and said it's happening now. And so just because some nation has set up shop again and the land that God gave them doesn't mean we're living in the last day. You know, one of the most important questions we could ask this morning is mentioned in the book of Matthew 24, verses 43 and 44, that we read a little while ago. Jesus said, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Amen. Folks, there are no signs that tell us today when Christ is coming. But if today were that day, would you be ready? You see, that's what Jesus instructs us to do. is to know that it is going to happen. And to get ready. Stay ready for it. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you're not ready for that day. If you've never been baptized to have your sins washed away, you're not ready for that day. If you have become a Christian and you haven't been living like one, you're not ready for that day. But you need to get ready. And you can be ready. It may be this morning that you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in a public way to... Become a Christian or to get your life right with God. Whatever the case may be, if you need to do that this morning, come right now as together we stand and sing. Jesus is tenderly-